All right, what is going on, guys? It is time for another episode of the Chasing Waypoints podcast. Episode number 126. Clicking them away, man. It has been it has been a little bit of a go these last few weeks. All sorts of fun stuff happening and going on, and it's just trying to get back on the microphone and and get back with you guys. But unfortunately, not with the news that I wanted to hear. We were warming up, getting ready for the next event. It was going to be the Kota Rally. And well, I had a great conversation with Mike El Jefe over there at the Kota Rally. And uh, well, unfortunately, the things did not line up. And if you didn't already hear the news, if you haven't already followed them on Instagram, that is on you. I follow them on Instagram. I love seeing their stuff. And, and their rally is not, uh, not the easiest. A lot of people have said, hey, this thing is, uh, is pretty challenging. And, and by design, that is exactly the stuff that Mike wants to do, which is absolutely awesome. Trend setting, we are doing our own thing here in the States as far as rally goes. But not yes and no. And we'll talk a little bit about that in this episode. Some of the differences, some of the things that are happening and what is going on, including the Dakar Rally, man. Dakar Rally announced uh, a very interesting stage and liaison setup. So let's get right to it. Let's find out a little bit more. Turn down the party here. So, yeah, so I got the call a couple of days ago. Uh, and it wasn't the phone call that I wanted to do. I always enjoy talking to, to Mike and the crew over from the Kota Rally. And, it, you know, a lot of stuff's been going on, local government and that kind of thing. Um, those of you that do not know, the Kota Rally is a Colorado-Utah rally that basically started years back. But its first iteration only happened two years ago. Uh, this would have been the third running of it. And what was interesting is that... It is one of the first permitted rallies here in the U.S. Uh, other than the Nevada rally that was put on a long time ago by uh, Franco Churvis, uh and some of the guys from Best of the Desert. I believe Casey Folks, the late uh, Casey Folks, was involved in that one. Uh, I still have not read the book. Ken Chone was so gracious to send me a copy of it. And it's on my nightstand, and I still have not read it, and that is 100% on me. So I got to read that thing uh, and find out a little bit more about what happened uh, with that rally and, and what were the goings, what were the happenings, and, and well, what, what, what went down? I read the first part, and it was, I think it was pretty cool, um, but not, uh, I didn't get enough into it to get all the intricacies of it. Um, I believe that uh, Johnny Campbell was also involved in that one as far and, and a few other greats. So it'd be awesome to get uh, get some people on the show and talk a little bit about uh, about the Nevada rally. And and really what I want to know is what were some of the things that went down that went sideways uh, that did not work out uh, the way they should have uh, for that rally? Um, because that is kind of going to be the theme. So there's also another theme, uh, another topic that we'll talk on and we'll touch um, in the end here, but it is basically um, what is going on with the score thing, right? Score rally or score uh, Baja 1000, Baja 500, Baja 250, uh, the Baja 400, uh, four race series here in the U.S. Uh, most of you guys listening worldwide would know uh, or have probably heard of the Baja 1000, uh, which, of course, is a bucket list item for many, just like the Dakar rally is a bucket list item for many. And so there's a lot been going on with that uh, with that event. Uh, we had previously we had Andy Kirker 
uh, on the show when they were talking about promoter rally uh, and trying to promote like a hybrid type rally event uh, at the Baja 1000 with some navigation special sections in it, uh, which I think is a really good idea. I really do think that that is a, a an awesome uh, way of doing things. I think that that is a um, how do we say? It? I think it is a it's the future, but we'll we'll get to that. Uh, and we're going to back it all the way up back to the Kotar Rally uh, side of it. So unfortunately, with local government and things going down, uh, they were not able to get all of the permitting and get everything uh, with a, a real rubber stamp on it. Um, and for those of you that don't know, there's a lot of process to creating a rally. There's a lot of things that have to be lined up, a lot of things that have to be reserved, a lot of things that involve money. Unfortunately, you know, that's the the root of all evil and in many cases sometimes happens to be the root of all happiness. Uh, so it's a double edged sword on that one. And and the problem becomes is that, you know, OK, well, if this doesn't happen, then that can't happen. And it gets very, very tough and it becomes a very, 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 very big financial risk for the uh, for the promoters of events and stuff like that to, to even, you know, lay out all of this cash and then have things that are maybe that are so detrimental uh, to the existence of the event and the event even being able to go on. You know, there's spending, there's things that happen that's a one-way street. You know, once it's gone, it's gone. And so uh, as a racer, as a customer, uh, you want to know that if you're putting your money in, that, you know, if it happens to not work out, it's not a one-way street and you're going to see that money back. And so it it's a very fine balancing act. Uh, and unfortunately, like in many things, uh, there's more people involved and it does not allow you to... Um, to really make a decision and be a hundred percent solid on that decision. And my respects to, to Mike, it is a very, 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 very big undertaking, taking on a rally, uh, having to coordinate with all the organizations that he does. Um, you know, as, as we were talking about it and, and I'm sure he's going to be listening in, but it's mad respect for what he has been able to do. And then not only that, but is keep it above board and, and making sure that all the organizations that need to know about it are in the know, uh, the tracking and all of that. So, I mean, uh, it was an, kind of an interesting thing, but um, he was telling me about how the one of the local search and rescue uh, organizations, the local government office actually gave him basically gave him the keys to the kingdom and said, you can set up your headquarters in here. You can do all of this stuff. They don't do that for anybody. And they were absolutely impressed with the level of detail that he had the level of uh, tracking via rally comp, uh, the the organization requirements of first aid, um, of having their search and rescue memberships and cards, which is very interesting. That in itself is going to turn interesting. I'd be I'd be curious to hear from somebody, uh, you know, across the pond and in other countries how they kind of organize this. But this was something very interesting is, is that there is a very big, um, you know, you're on a trail and you're out hiking, you're out mountain biking and you get the sudden urge for Starbucks and you just can't, you, you just need your Starbucks right then and there. So you fake an injury uh, and then you, you basically ask for a ride back, declaring that it's an emergency. Uh, you ask for a ride back uh, via the, uh, the local search and rescue, which could be and most likely will be a helicopter. Um, because you know, you're tired and you know, you just you, you double mocha skinny with lemon flavored air kind of thing. And you just have to have that. And I wish I was joking. I really do wish I was joking, but this is actually something that went down in Southern California. Uh, it was very widely publicized and basically the person requesting the Uber, the world's most expensive Uber ride literally was feeling tired 
and wasn't medically anything, just tired, you know, maybe should have slept in another hour, would have had the energy to do that. Maybe he didn't get enough water in, maybe he didn't get, you know, he was not, it was not a medical emergency is the big thing. Could it have escalated to it? Who knows? But you called a little bit too early and it was a very big ordeal. And unfortunately, uh, yeah, it involved local search and rescue. And I was like, well, I, we, whoever's down here in Southern California and helps fund that department got to pay for that Uber ride. And I, you know, I have no problem with that when it's a real injury because I would like to have that knowledge and that, I, I mean, I pay the membership for the inReach uh, to have that additional coverage. And I think that it is very important that we take personal responsibility for some of this stuff and, and, you know, Hey, like this is, uh, this is a serious thing, you know, in rally, that was something. And, and eventually we'll get to that conversation about, um, my, my recap of the Sonora rally and what I had to do, uh, and some of the situations that were there. I'm waiting for one of the guests, um, that, that we want to talk about this because it needs to be talked about and we need to, as a community in rally and, and adventure riding and racers and all of that stuff, we need to be very cognizant of the things that we do. Uh, and some of these people, uh, some, some of these people, some of these competitors, some of the rally family, some of the competitor family have ways of doing things to help prevent certain things and have had certain experiences and thus they do things differently now. And I want to get some of that information out there because if it's not me, it's the next person, it's somebody else that, that, you know, you might be, you may not be the one requiring assistance or you may not be the one noticing or having signs of fatigue, but because somebody in your group realizes this and understands this, then you have a, then it's done its purpose. It's served its purpose. Oh, I remember hearing about something along these lines. We need to do at least this, you know, and it is very, very important. Anyway, I digress back to the Kotal rally. So, yes, yeah, some of the things, you know, he, that Mike has done and, and, and really worked on getting this rally up off the ground um, involves a lot of moving pieces. And sometimes those moving pieces don't move as fast. You know, you, you think about it as Legos and, you know, the idea is, is you got all of these Legos, you're going to put them all, you're going to build this thing. Um, and then all of a sudden now, mind you, for a lot of people starting this, it's like trying to build Legos at night. And if you've ever had uh, Legos scattered across the floor at night, sometimes it's the ones you don't see that you step on that really cause an issue. Uh, and so there's nothing different in organizing an event. I mean, that I don't know. That was a bit of a stretch for a, uh, for a reference. But I think you guys know what I'm trying to get to. Unfortunately, no Kotal Rally this year. Uh, we talked about it. It sounds like it's going to be recharge time. And next year's event is just going to be that much more badass. And we're absolutely looking forward to it. Uh, other irons in the fire things going on. So absolutely excited to see that, uh, see the event, uh, move forward. I mean, th this, it's not going anywhere. Uh, I, I try to be as encouraging as I can because I wholeheartedly believe in the event. We've got an event here in the States, full fledged, fully permitted, everything you need to know about rally all going on on there. Yeah. It's a little tough. We talked a little bit about that. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, so, yeah. So, Mike, if you're listening, we wish you all the best. Uh, take some time off. It's well-deserved. Uh, keep moving those pieces on the board. And uh, and let's get uh, let's get that Kotal rally back for next year and, and even bigger. So, looking forward to that one. All right. Next topic. Whew. All right. Uh, Dakar rally. 
Dakar Rally made some uh, some announcements uh, this week, and I'm like, I'm, I'm liking it. it. Took me a minute to get to it and, and read through it, but they are bringing back a marathon stage that's a first, which is awesome that they're trying different, you know, different things to get the event, you know, to, to lengthen things, to get rid of the Dakar swing and all of that stuff. And I, I really going to want to know your guys' opinion on this one. So basically the rules of the road, right? Marathon stage typically uh, everybody becomes Malamoto in the category. So you're going to ride uh, out to a remote bivouac. You're not going to have support crew there. You're going to have a limited time amount uh, working on the bike, a limited amount of tools, a limited amount of things that you can do. So you have to conserve the bike getting in there. And then when you leave, uh, same thing. But now you're racing back towards your crew to a place where they can uh, they can actually work on the bike, tear it down, do all of these things and get it 100 percent again. So strategy becomes uh key in that you know how do you do it you you send it on the first half and hope you've got a decent bike for the second half uh do you ride a little bit more conservative on the second or the first half and then send it on the second half uh when you get to the bivouac you're kind of looking around you're looking at results you're trying to figure out who's doing what where they're at and, and and what's going on well it all continues down that slope of people uh planning their finishes or trying to gauge where they're going to finish and what they're going to do. And so I think one of the biggest things that the Dakar has done in a while, I mean, yeah, they tried, you know, uh, the tire rule, which a lot of people disagreed with. I disagree with, uh, it was actually Skylar house that shed some light on it that I hadn't really thought about in the safety behind having a tire. That's not super fresh, uh, like you would at the end of the marathon stage, uh, you're braking, the bike control becomes very different and and can affect in a negative manner the safety uh, of the racers. Uh, we've heard, you know, we heard about it from the last episode when we were talking to Jacob Argybright uh, and then also some other comments made by Skylar in, in that if there's no cautions specifically marking something, then everybody is sending it. Everybody is riding as fast as they can through that section because they figure that the organization, if there was something bad there over a rise, over this, over that, there would be some kind of marker on there, which brings a whole nother aspect of rally to the safety side of it. Right. You know, being able to know like, okay, I'm coming over this rise. Normally I would have had to have pre ran. I would have had to have come through, marked the danger and then go for there, go through it. Um, but then you have things like, well, the rider was injured. So somebody that didn't pre-run that part of the course is going to be riding the bike and they don't know about when you come over this rise, you got to watch out. Um, in rally, it doesn't matter. Everybody has the road book. So they understand, Hey, I'm coming up over this rise or I'm going into this dip coming up in, in a hundred meters and it's got, you know, two dangers, uh, and, and I need to adjust accordingly. So anybody you hand that book to knows how to read that and knows how to do that. So, it becomes a safety, you know, a safety concern about how the road books are ran and how everything is done. And in the end, everybody is trying to get that edge on the next guy. It's racing. So then when it gets to the bivouac, then you're okay. Well, how did you do? Where did you finish? What do you think? And in the end, you're trying to get uh, that advantage. Well, what the Dakar has done is first of all said, hold my beverage and said, we got this. And what they did is they created a 48-hour stage as a marathon stage. There's going to be eight bivouacs across that stage. So when they call time, it's like musical chairs. 
you're going to get to, you know, the music stops and you got to find the first bivouac. And that's what's going to happen is, is you the, the time stops and you have to race to the next bivouac. You get to that bivouac. They take your time. And then the next day you continue on. You know, they give you a break or whatever it is. And then you take off from there. So then you have uh, what is it in the uh, the, the John Wick uh, reference uh, when they they excommunicado. Uh, so you don't have that communication necessarily from one bivouac to the next to the next, you know, I, I, I don't know how they would do that. I'm trying to think, Let, let's think ahead about this. Um, what about, you know, okay, well I'm in the bivouac and we've got uh 40, you know, 40 kilometers to the next bivouac and I have cell reception and I'm going to try and get a hold of somebody on the team and see if they can relay, you know, Hey, what are we, you know, where are we at? What are we doing? Uh, what's the, what is the, how do you say it? Where, where do I need to start? Where do I need to be, uh, in this and see if, okay, do I need to push on this next leg? Do I not need to push on this next leg? Uh, it, it just like, how do you resolve for that? How do you get, uh, how do you, I don't know. I mean, I just think there's going to be a bunch of strat, strategy involved, but it's going to be a little bit different. You know, how are they going to communicate, communicate your, you know, from one bivouac to the next. And I'm trying to multitask here as you guys are, are listening to this. Uh, let me see here. I'm, I'm literally sending a text message because I just got the bright idea of something, uh, but we're doing this kind of live. So, and let's see here. So I don't know. What do you what do you guys think? You know, uh, 48 hour stage, eight bivouacs. I think it's kind of unique. Let me uh, I, I'm going to pause this here for just a second. Please stand by for this commercial break. Hey, all this is Victor with the Chasing Waypoints podcast. Super quick. I've been using encounter shocks now for about six months on my bikes, and it is an absolute go to super quick and easy to install four bolts and it is on the bike and ready to go it has helped reduce the vibrations on the handlebars the fatigue in my hands and all of those hard hits is just making the bike track a lot better so i absolutely love that thing check it out link is in the description countershocks.com all right we are back so this is interesting i really do think uh you know talking the 48 hour stage and and how this is going to shake down uh at the dakar i think those eight stages are going to be absolutely crazy or eight bivouacs are going to be crazy trying to communicate uh between them to see you know to get an idea you know teammate talking to teammate uh what their time was to that i think that it could lead to some some confusion but at the same time um i don't know you know the way that things work, you know, thinking about it future wise, right? You have now like say that's on stage eight is the for eight and nine or the 48 hour stage, right? Just to say so the finishing order on seven may be critical or even more critical because now you're going to want to be in the lead group. You want to be towards the top, uh, which usually it's going to help with the sandbagging and the, the car swing, I think, in that sense that you have, OK, I need to make sure I still stay within the top group because I want to be out front and I want to make it to the eighth bivouac, the very last bivouac. I want to be one of the first ones 
uh, I want to be in that group because I need to know how they're doing. But now if you end up having some downtime, you end up in the seventh bivouac or the sixth bivouac and the lead group is in the eighth bivouac, then it becomes like, okay, well, where exactly am I at in the rankings versus these guys? You know, is that even an important thing? And I, I just see that there's going to be a lot of games that all of a sudden have to become. I mean, there's, I'm sure they've got team strategists maybe even looking at this going, okay, here's scenario one, here's scenario one dot B here's scenario one dot C here's scenario 85. You know, what are the, all of these different scenarios that could actually happen with this happening? And I, I agree. I like it. I don't know. I'm going to see if uh, I'm going to do some research and I'm going to try and get some, uh, some audio clips, um, some audio clips of what people think about it. Uh, and then I'll insert them on the, uh, on the episode before you guys get, uh, before you guys get to hear this. How about that? Let's do that. I, I totally sent a text message, not realizing it that is so early in the morning and I'm sure I'm probably waking these people up and that's not good. So let's not do that. Okay. So 48 hour stage Dakar rally, that is going to be interesting. Uh, let's see here. So now let's move over to the next topic, uh, that we wanted to talk about. And that is, uh, racing. And we kind of touched on it, uh, with the Kota rally and organizations and things like that, you know, moving and shifting gears, um, and, and trying to, to get racers involved. And then at the same time, put on these events and doing that. So score for those of you that don't know, again, we mentioned that in the intro, um, talking about score, the, Baja 1000 being a bucket list item, much like the Dakar rally is a bucket list item. Uh, but then score also has the Baja 250, the Baja 400, the 500, and then the thousand. So they have multiple events down there. And something that's been happening over the years is that the factory teams have been leaving. So before you had, you know, Kawasaki, uh, that, you know, and unfortunately with the passing of Danny Hamill was pretty much the end of Kawasaki going to Mexico. Uh, Honda, you had Honda factory down there. Uh, now, you know, you had, uh, JCR, Johnny Campbell racing, uh, down there when they were doing, you know, Johnny Campbell, Steve Hengefeld, uh, all of those guys, uh, right. And, you know, Colton Udall, all, all of these guys that were down there, you had the Honda team, the A team and the B team. Uh, and then, you know, it transitioned into now it's like Mark Samuels, SLR racing, and it, it's changed a lot and there is support, but there is no longer a actual factory team that's factory back, like where the paycheck comes from Honda uh, for these guys that they're Honda athletes. They are athletes and they are supported by the factory, but they're not actual factory teams. I That maybe sounds a little harsh and maybe it's really just, you know, tomato, tomato. But at the end of the day is is. Uh, it's a very different setting now for the races down in Baja and the numbers have been dwindling little by little in the moto class. Um, we had Andy Kirker. Uh, we talked a little bit about it. We talked about the safety, you know, uh, Andy is now in a helicopter and is chasing the bike race uh, dedicated exactly to the bikes. And he is the liaison between the organization and the bikes and the motorcycle racers and are working towards getting uh, more safety and, and, and just promoting the event and getting the motos back. Um, so what's interesting is, is like, okay, what are the moto classes? What are they doing? And I've, you know, I've seen the comments. I've seen the, the, um, all right, guys, super quick break. Here we go. As promised, let's hear from Skylar Howes on that 48 hour Dakar stage. Hey dude. Uh, yeah, I saw that, but, um, actually, 
we haven't really talked about it much. Um, I think it's interesting. I really like challenges like this. I would much rather have some type of challenge like this rather than some other rule trying to, you know, like a speed limit or some random stuff that they're going to do to the bike. You know, I, I prefer challenges like this, you know, getting the road book the morning of and having it pre-colored and having, you know, different navigation and, you know, different challenges I think are good. Um, so I don't know exactly how it's going to work yet. It sounds like you pretty much in a certain time limit, you race as far as you can. And then when you get to that time limit, then you stop and sleep and stay at a bivouac and then you get up and then you continue racing. So from my understanding, this will be more, I don't know, like if you've ever watched the movie Hidalgo, where it's just like you have a point to point, you're supposed to start here and you need to finish here. And however long it takes you to do that, where you sleep, any of that kind of stuff is just kind of up to you. And I think that's kind of how this is going to be is like, you have to start here and finish here. And I'm assuming that you'll probably get, you know, a road book. I don't know that they'll probably only allow you to like race a maximum distance in one day. So, um, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll have probably still two road books or something like that. I don't know, but what would, would be sick is if you just get one road book and then you have to race until, you know, your time limit runs out and then you sleep there, get back up the next morning and start again. And wherever you make it, like, you know, I, I think that would be actually really sick. And I think that would be really cool if all rally was like that. Like you start at 7am and at 7pm you stop and however, however long you made it that day is what it is. And then you sleep and you get back up the next day and you continue to go. I think that would be super sick. So I like the idea of this, if that's how it is. Um, and yeah, we'll see how it goes, but I'm all up for the new challenges and all types of stuff like that. If it's not like things to try and make us go slower, you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, sounds cool to me. We'll see how it goes. Though. And especially once I get more information, then we'll kind of have a better understanding of what actually is supposed to happen there. But from just the, the quick glance that I've had at it so far, it looks, I don't know, like an extra challenge and it could be cool. But the- all right, breaks over. Back to the episode. The people concerned with the safety and all the stuff. And yeah, you've got you've got these big trophy trucks coming down, uh, barreling down on the back part of the class. You know, the guys up top generally don't have to worry about that. They fight for the overall time, but they never really actually see each other on course. Um, but then you have the guys that are towards the back of the moto class, and then the quads. Uh, they have, you know, they. It's a very real thing to have to deal with the trophy trucks. And the class one cars and then the trophy you know, legends and then the trophy lights or whatever they're up to now, you know, and there's a lot of them uh, that have to deal with these guys. And, and it's a dangerous sport. Baja has always been dangerous, whether there's another vehicle involved or not. Unfortunately, with other vehicles involved, it throws an even bigger wild card uh, into the mix. Um, I personally, I have seen as I remember as a little kid. Uh, I, we were out camping on the coast and I remember seeing a bike get ran over by a class one car. Uh, back then it was the Barbary coast car. I'd have to do some digging to remember who the, uh, who the driver was there, but it was one of the, uh, one of the Barbary coast class one cars. It was over on the coast. 
Uh, they ran over a bike and, um, and I mean, it, it was like a vacuum cleaner. I literally, I have no idea what that car was trying to do, prove or what, uh, they just got a little bit too close and it just grabbed that rear tire and sucked the rider under. Uh, they had to come get it. Um, you know, they had, we took the bike home. Uh, they had to, uh, airlift the guy out of there. Uh, it, it was a pretty big scene. Um, and, it's not the norm because I don't see that every race and especially now with social media and how many cameras are on scene at any given time. Um, you know, I see more of locals causing issues, going backwards on the course, doing that kind of thing or going down the course to get into the position of where they want to be for, uh, the event and watch the race. And that's early on. Uh, I could see that happening more with the motorcycles because it's early on in the morning. So, I see that there are a lot of dangers and there are a lot of things to watch out for. And I see that the numbers are dwindling and, and we as a whole, uh, whether it's, you know, you're, you're doing coverage on it, whether you're a motorcycle competitor or motorcycle rider and all that stuff, I think getting the information out there and really working on promoting the event in a positive light, but in a realistic light, you know, yeah, it's dangerous. Anytime, I mean, you could hear it from so many people. Anytime you decide to throw your leg over a bike, uh, you, it's a, you know, Skyler says it's a business decision, you know, and you have to watch out, uh, for what you're doing. I mean, you literally have to be careful. You have to be, uh, conscious of what you're doing. And there are wild cards. There are things out there. I've, I've, I've lost friends, um, in, in racing, uh, and, and just riding and, you know, it's one of those things that you never know. You do your best to protect yourself and to do what you can. But unfortunately, you know, there's there's a timestamp. And and the only way, the only thing to figure is that, hey, you know what? It was a board, something that you love doing. So what are the things that, you know, safety wise, what are the things that we're doing to to mitigate that? Um, what is the organization doing? You know, I, I really am going to I want to work a little bit on this and work and maybe talk to some of the racers. And it'll be kind of cool for uh, the audience and you guys to listen and, and maybe get some stories of guys that race Baja that do these type of sprint race formats. Um, you've heard, you know, you've heard from Colton Udall. If you guys have been listening to the episodes, Colton Udall's extremely accomplished racer down there uh, in Baja, you know, is, is always challenging the top spots. Uh, not only that, but also my respects him for being able to ride a distance. I mean, he can do, uh, in the peninsula run, you know, uh, a six, 700 mile stint. And I'm not talking at trail riding speeds. I'm talking at we're leading the race. And I mean, we're right there in contention and it takes a lot of talent, a lot of practice and, and a lot. I mean, he's, he's really put in the skill, uh, to, or he's really developed the skill to be able to do that kind of stuff. So I admire him for that. There's a lot of stuff that, um, I, I really enjoy talking to him, especially because of, uh, one, how down to earth and approachable he is. And you wouldn't pick him out from the next guy in line, but he can absolutely hand 9.9 out of 10 people their ass down there. And the, the only, uh, 0.1 that's left are the guys that are continuing to be competitive down there. Uh, and not only that, but it's kind of with, a. uh, We'll put an asterisk on there because a bike that is competitive uh, at the hands of, like, say, Colton Udall and Derek Osbar, uh, two riders versus a bike that's competitive with a whole team of five, you know, racing it, you know, switching off every 50, 50 to 75 miles. Um, 
is very different. And I, I could do neither, but at the same time, we can see it from the outside and say, okay, well, you know, it just makes what Colton and teammates do a little bit more, um, a little more special. Right. Um, so anyway, so I want to help try and promote that and, and get into it a little bit more and kind of find out because for all organizations, you know, there's things in rally, there's things that are done specifically in rally, uh, for safety that I think work very, very well. Uh, in this manner, you know, it's, uh, in rally, right. Rider down the next rider, uh, through there is responsible to stop. If it's a medical, uh, it's already known, you know, you, you, you have a protocol of things that you have to do. Uh, you're going to get your time back for being on there or being on site with the person. Uh, you know, the bike goes a specific way, you know, there's certain things like, again, there's a certain protocol and I wonder, you know, I wonder, is that how score does it? Do they even, do they even lay it out right so that the next person knows right i'm not gonna no i'm not gonna stop because xyz and i you know thinking out loud right it's actually an advantage right if you come across a medical situation you're in a front running position and you have to navigate and you have to open the stage and then you decide or you don't decide you come across this issue or this incident and you have to stop the advantage and rally goes to the guy that's got tracks to follow it makes them that much more sure of the navigation and what they're doing. So if you happen to stop and you're there for 20 minutes and you get passed by six bikes, you are now from leading the rally, you are now six bikes back. And not only are you six bikes back and going to get your time back, now you have six tracks to follow or five tracks to follow uh, to get to the finish line. In the sprint racing side of things, it's a little bit different, so to speak. Um, one thing that I've, I've seen in time and time again, and I, I find it very frustrating is that, uh, people will go down, they'll practice, they'll do all this stuff, they'll pre-run. And then, uh, all of a sudden in the middle of the race, you got a guy that's, you know, just, Oh, the thing stopped working. But if you follow the tracking, you see it cut across a mountain range, you know, negating 10 miles of course. Uh, and, and, and then all of a sudden it's tracking again. And it, it's unfortunate to see that, but the advantage in this particular scenario is, is if you're one and two and you've got the number two bike right on you and you take your shortcut, quote unquote shortcut, then they can follow you on that, you know? So now you got to put time on them to be able to make sure that they don't see you take that line or take that whatever. And, and it sucks. It's a very real thing. And it's happened so many years, uh, in a row um, and, and in many classes, there's other classes that they, their people have the fame and, and, you know, if, if anybody's listening to this, well, that's what doing your homework is about. I go, yeah, but doing your homework and the rule book are two things. And the rule book is very specific on how far off you can deviate from the, from the laid out course. But, you know, now I've, I've heard comments of it's VCP to VCP. So whatever, just get there to the VCP, collect the waypoint and then off you go. Um, I, I don't know, you know, there, there's a lot of things and I, I want to help clarify that and get that out there, uh, so that people can, you know, if, if anybody is curious to try it, you're better prepared, uh, for going down to one of these Baja races. Cause no matter what the opinion is, it, the Baja 1000 will always be a bucket list item. It is a very challenging race, but so is any of the other races down in Baja. So it's definitely uh, uh, something that, okay, well, let's let's see what's out. Let, let's dive in. We'll all dive in and we'll all find out a little bit more about the events from the people that race these events. I'm particularly interested in talking to the guys that race the Ironman class uh, because that is a very, very 
competitive class, but also you're, it's like Malamoto. I mean, you're basically, you're the guy on the bike and that's, it is what it is. Um, so you have to manage the bike. You have to do all of these things, manage your energy, manage everything. Uh, you have your pit crew, you have your team, you have all of this stuff. So then it's a matter of, okay, let's get, um, all right. So super quick break. We heard from Skylar House earlier on the 48 hour car stage that they're going to be doing for 2024. Now let's take a listen to Mason's take on the 48 hour stage. Hey, Victor, about the 48 hour stage. Yeah, I know a little bit about it from talking to a few people. I'm pretty excited about it personally. Um, something that makes it super interesting and new compared to the like even a marathon stage right um however far you make it on the first part of the 48 hour stage that's where you start the next day meaning even if you're the fastest guy to kilometer 300 it doesn't matter because if someone else started ahead of you the person who opens that day they let's say they make it to kilometer 400 500 whatever they're still going to start where they were. So one person has a chance to open the entire 48-hour stage, and that's pretty cool. Um, also, if you start pulling a gap on someone, you get to keep increasing it. Like if you start 100 and you only make it 200 kilometers in or you start first and you break down and you only make it 200 kilometers or whatever by 4 p.m. I think is the cutoff for something they say. There's multiple bivouacs, right? And, um, yeah, so out of the multiple bivouacs, however far you make it by 4 p.m., you, maybe you only go 200 kilometers because you broke. And then everyone else, the guy who started second but didn't break down and makes a kilometer 500, he starts kilometer 500, and the next day you still have to start kilometer 200. And, yeah, it, your, your mistakes build up more and more um something i also know about it is let's say you go over you're still riding past 4 p.m and you're not at the next bivouac yet or you're in between bivouacs your time stops at 4 p.m or whatever time they decide but whatever time you go over until you get to the next bivouac it's still timed it just goes towards the next stage's time so let's say you cross you leave the bivouac at 3.30 and you don't get to the next bivouac at until 4.30. Those extra 30 minutes just add on to the next stage's time. So it's still just as important. You still have to push the entire time until they stop you. But yeah, pretty cool. I'm excited for it. All right, break's over. Back to the episode. Let's, you know, let, let's figure this out. Let's let's take a look at it. So that's what I'm looking forward to doing and getting um, getting some more information for you guys and doing some more interviews and things like that. And so uh, the next and final topic, and we're, we're going to cut this one here in a few minutes. But uh, and I kind of led to this and in talking about what uh, and what Mike over at the Kota rally is doing. Um, the rally is tough. You know, he highly it, it's more of a rally light like a rally light bike is the bike to take for these. You want a light, small, nimble, something that, you know, can get in and out of areas. I don't think a full on rally bike is the, the best 
there is a lot of road and there is a lot of open range stuff, open fire road kind of thing. But at the same time, there are some sections that are very, very challenging. So I don't know how much I can talk about um, some of the things heard in the in in the office and, and, and back at in Sonora Rally, but. In the end, and I talked about this uh, at the Caselli event with uh, with Jacob Margibright, is that w- here in the states, like we know off road racing, right? Southern California, Baja California, uh, is is one of the uh, is the hotbed for the world of of racing. You know, you have yes, you have the MXGP, you have a lot of stuff riding uh, in uh, other parts of the world. But in a concentration in different disciplines in in all out sprint races in in all out like tough, hard, you know, crazy terrain events, stuff like that. Uh, you know, it's it's Southern California and Baja California, uh, Nevada, Arizona, more Nevada. Um, you know, there's a multitude of terrain and challenges and things like that. So we've been doing off road racing. We just that's just like how they've been doing rally racing in that format. So now we have the opportunity, I think, to kind of melt the two together and take what we do here, what is typically done in the deserts down here uh, in uh, slightly rougher terrain and things like that, and take what uh, rally does in other parts of the world and and kind of change the format. So. I, I'm kind of working on something like that. I would really like to see that uh, happen and and get into uh, a little bit more of a competitive and maybe a shorter event and that kind of stuff. So uh, there, there's more news to follow. But I think that we are definitely on the the cusp of turning around and and kind of creating a mixed format that will work very very well here in the states, um, and it will be something that. Uh, you know, let's get the recipe going. Like, let's take, you know, this is the bike it takes. This is the type of navigation equipment you need. And this is how it's going to go. And I think that that would work very, very well for, um, for people. And especially people that are looking to try and get into rally and maybe race rally and do that kind of stuff. Because now you have something that's like, all right, this is rad. You know, we can do multiple things. We can do these, this discipline. Um, and, I'll I'll say it again. Matthew Glade, way back when we did his interview, hit it on the head. You know, he said, you know, look at the used market. Look at the market for used rally gear. Look at, you know, now that the uh, the Mexican 1000 from Nora is now a rally event. Look at all those guys that tried that stuff and then came back and then sold their equipment. I haven't seen it. So what does that mean? You know, you get into rally and it's a one way street. Awesome. I think it is. You know, we've talked about it so many times. You know, you go to any one of these hair scramble events, you're going to even with the bomb starting even with this stuff, you could probably name the five guys that are going to be leading. Now, if you want to grow that field of those five guys to now maybe 10 guys or 12 guys that could be leading at any time or 12 competitors, we say 12 competitors at any given time, throw a roadbook in front of them. Now you've opened up the field a little bit because everybody's got to navigate. And now you've got a few different choices, a few different things going on. So, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I think uh, I can say incoming, you know, I think we've got something coming. So we're going to have to talk a little bit more about it and develop that idea. But 
I do think that there is uh, there's some room for growth. And I think that we are on route to that. Uh, it's just a matter of everybody kind of like figuring out, OK, what do we want to participate in? You know, I know score has, uh, you know, score motos uh, to me still is very prestigious, even though it is the trophy truck show. Um, it would be great to see more coverage on the bikes. Um, I mean, just my, my opinion. Um, so the bikes, the trophy trucks, the class 11s and, you know, some of the, the class ones, but really, I mean, to me, those are the ones, the classes that I think that, you know, trophy trucks and class 11s, you know, the, the stock Baja bugs. Um, and then of course the spectacle of the trophy trucks. The class one cars, yes, they're there. The trophy legends, uh, there are other classes, but you know, the show seems to be around the trophy trucks. Uh, and it's, uh, and then of course the, the honorable mentions of the class 11 and how tough that is and how that's the origin of Baja and all of that. And, uh, so they get some attention, but in the end, you know, sponsors are going to go where they're going to get eyeballs on their thing. They're going to get that kind of stuff. So how does that grow? How does that promote? How do we do that? So my homework to you guys is, uh, send me a message. What do you guys think? You know, what, what, uh, if you're a moto racer and have been curious about trying, um, you know, from wherever you are, wherever parts in the world you are, uh, you've ever thought like, Hey, what would it take to race a Baja race? Uh, what is that like? What are the questions that you have in that? Uh, absolutely. Send me a message on Instagram. Uh, I will get working uh, on it and I will try and get Andy Kirker back on the show so we could talk a little bit more about that and what we see in uh, in Baja and, and what you may need to know about that. Uh, I was able to line up uh, one more guest, which we will talk about that uh, in another episode. And as we get that lined up, uh, because that one is going to be some really good information on the development of rally bikes. So we'll talk about that uh, as well. Anyway, guys, with that being said, remember, it'll make sense when you get there. Enjoy the ride. All right, that is a wrap for the Chasing Waypoints podcast this week. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Don't forget to like and subscribe if you like what you heard. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and a bunch of others. Also, follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook under Chasing Waypoints, Instagram, Chasing Waypoints underscore official, and of course, the YouTube under Chasing Waypoints. Hope everybody has a good week. We will see you guys for the next episode. Remember, shiny side up, and don't forget to tag us. We want to see where you guys are riding and what you guys are up to. Have a great week.